You're listening to Trek FM. Hello and welcome to Season 2, Episode 15 of Commentary, Trek Stars, a show which deals with the work of Star Trek creators outside of Star Trek. Today is Part 7 in our series on Richard Matheson as a writer of novels that were turned into movies. And today we will be looking at his eighth novel, Hell House, as well as the movie adaptation, The Legend of Hell House. I'm Mike. I'm Max. And today we're joined by John of Words with Nerds once again. How's it going, John? Going well. Glad to be a part of the show. So, uh, last time we talked about Damon Lindelof. What are your thoughts on Richard Matheson? Well, uh, I mean, Richard Matheson, of course, uh, has done more than a little to uh, contribute to, uh, you know, the sci-fi ove, as it were. He's sort of, I would consider him one of those semi-required writers for people to read uh i mean i I think that almost everybody is at least familiar with i am legend and of one way or another they either watch the omega man or the will smith adaptation and they find out that it was based on a book and they go back and they read read matheson and they're like oh wow this guy's pretty cool and then they read a couple more and then they find out he did some other stuff so he's I, i he's i don't think that he would be what i would call a household name but He's definitely somebody that people come to by way of his work and um, I think is was a, uh, a you know, a, a really in his own way influential writer. Well, what about um, his his episode of Star Trek, The Enemy Within? What are your uh, your thoughts on that? Classic. I, I, I couldn't say anything that hasn't been said by somebody before, um, but it's Enemy Within is one of those fantastic Trek episodes that just encapsulates everything that is both wonderful and campy about the original series. The verve and the vigor of the story and uh, Shatner's performance just powers that thing through. And uh, I would be stunned if you found anybody, even the people that like the later series more than they like uh, original series. Enemy Within would be one of those ones where everybody would say, yeah, that was that was a great episode. All right. Well, today we're going to be covering Hell House, which was Matheson's eighth novel. It was written in 1971. And the interesting thing about that is that's 11 years after his seventh novel, which is uh, The Beardless Warriors, which we briefly touched on last week. So in that 11 year gap, what was Richard Matheson up to? Was he a uh, a Terrence Malick-like figure who just, you know, shut himself in and didn't do anything well no no. he did tv he did a lot of stuff uh for the record he did 22 short stories including button button Mm, yes he did 13 movies including duel and he did 32 episodes of television including 16 episodes of the twilight zone and the enemy within of course so i mean Right there, that's what sixty-seven things in eleven years. Yeah, so, just because he wasn't writing a book doesn't mean he wasn't being prolific. Right, exactly. And in some ways, like to me, that like that that period in the sixties is sort of like what I think of when I think of Matheson. You know, I mean, I I know him primarily from Twilight Zone, 
And that's where all of his Twilight Zone stuff was done, you know, in addition to some of his, you know, most classic movies and and uh, short stories. So, well, I, I would al- I would almost offer in light of all of that, that um, maybe the, the 60s could be looked at as a period when, I mean, television was going through some stupendous sorts of changes and 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 innovations that were, you know. You know, you had the color breakthrough, you had Star Trek on TV, you had all of these things where there, there was a definite shift, you know, from the way it was. And I think people had a, a feeling of uh, freedom and probably uh, happiness. You know, as an author, there was probably so many opportunities to just do different things with television at that time because people were willing to experiment a little bit with, uh, you know, Twilight Zone. Um, uh, yeah. Star Trek, those sorts of things, and especially sci-fi. Like, it, it, it's one of those things where '60s saw this sort of blossoming of creativity on television. Well, after that decade, he returned to the the novel with Hell House, 1971. Max, would you want to give a synopsis of this story? Um, you know those stories where like there's supposedly a haunted house and a bunch of investigators go to investigate the haunted house, but it turns out it's not haunted in precisely the way that they thought it was. It was haunted in some different way, but it was totally still haunted. That one guy that didn't really believe it was haunted, he's wrong. <laughs> yeah, It's one of those. Yeah, it is. I mean, that was one of the things which kind of struck me about it was that it was very, very similar to a lot of other stories, in particular one that we covered uh Earlier, you know, Ron Wilkerson's uh, Houdini and Lovecraft. But, uh, John, what, what did you think about Hell House, the novel? Well, uh, the novel is very interesting in terms of I almost wonder if Matheson was working out some sexual frustrations in the book because those moments in the book that didn't translate to the movie were very marked and very. I'm not coming at it from the vantage point of a prude, but I'm looking at it from the vantage point of, ooh, scary, spooky. Oh, dear. Well, that's interesting. You know, and it, but there was an in for it. He, he did give a good uh, basis for it, but uh, it came across to me that there were a lot of uh, almost internal frustrations that he was working out in the book. And, you know, it is, it is one of those things, faith versus science, but oh, wait, they can cohabitate. And both be the same. And I was tempted, you know, the whole time uh, reading it to sort of mentally compare and contrast with The Exorcist, which comes at like Hell House comes at it from a more logical, scientific approach, whereas mm-hmm. The Exorcist is very much coming from a very faith based approach and seeing sort of comparing and contrasting the two of them and how they sort of come at the same sort of topic. Uh, from those different angles. I think that Matheson had a really good hook with it. it. It would be very easy to take this as a pejorative, but it definitely read sort of like a Dan Brown book. And by that, I mean not that it was poorly written, but in the sense that it was quick. You know, you, you, had, you didn't have to finish a chapter to get through a scene. You, you had that block and then you could make the decision, well, I got to go to bed or I got to go make dinner or something like that. So you, you could almost walk away for the commercial break and then come back and pick the book up without missing anything. What about you, Max? Um, I, I, I read this book a long time ago um, and uh, rereading it was very interesting because since reading this, I have you know seen a million haunted house movies. And, and while reading it, I was struck by how 
like specific to the time haunted house movies and stories seem to be like whatever, whenever, whatever year a haunted house story is written, it sort of like defines that moment in time in some weird way. And I've been, and I've been reading Peter Ackroyd's book, which is about like haunted houses and seances and mediums and whatnot. And, and, and it's really interesting. Cause like, I had never thought about like the idea of like different types of mediums. Cause I just think of it as like, different types of scams but like seeing it with like that sort of like the grounds like you know like ants eye view of the world of that that sort of subculture of spiritualists and paranormal investigators it, it, it was very interesting reading that and and having like like put the memory in a different context because i thought of it as just like one of the early haunted house stories and now i think of it as like one of the haunted house stories that kind of defined what the haunted house story is more than anything else because this this is more like any haunted house movie than anything I can think of. That I hadn't I hadn't considered that, and it is interesting. And I I think that you know maybe the the important element maybe and maybe he was maybe he did innovate this way, but that 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 element of giving the exact time that something happened yeah. is almost like that that characteristic of the urban legend where somebody is sitting there talking to you, and they're like, no no no. This is I can tell you it really happened because this, you know, and it, it gives you that framework of reality that you need. Yeah. So saw, saw a fuzzy know, figure in distance at 842 p.m. Right. You, you only yeah. need to suspend your disbelief, but so much. And we'll make sure the rest of it is realistic for you. Well, I I was not tremendously uh, impressed with the book. You know, at first, you know, when I it, it started, I'm like, oh, this is going to be fun. You know, a haunted house book. And I imagine, you know, with uh, the quality of writing that we've seen thus far that it's going to be uh, head and shoulders above most haunted house books, even though I'm not a big fan of haunted house stories in general. I can appreciate them, but most of the time they don't work for me. And in the end, I, I thought it was rather um, formulaic. You know, it was it was okay. There was nothing wrong with it, but it seemed too long to me. And uh, I guess I didn't write, qu quite see the uh, the point behind it all, aside from being like just a spooky story. And, you know, on that level, it didn't really work for me or, or maybe it did. It's just that that's not enough to, to, you know, hold my interest. But, um, I, I did like the idea of, you know, the guy trying to explain the supernatural stuff with science, um, that, that reminded me a lot of, uh, I am legend. But then when it turned out that science was not necessarily, um, the full explanation, that kind of bummed me out, I guess. That, that's very interesting to me because what I took away from it was that sort of having to live with like science and faith living together sort of thing. The 70s seemed to be a, uh, a fertile ground for people trying to reconcile faith and science, not, mm -hmm. not pitting them against each other and trying to have them coexist and say Barrett, because at the end of the book, you know, they say Barrett's thing kind of worked, but the guy was smart because he was able to put himself away in such a way that he, you know, protected himself from what he foresaw as something that could defeat him and, you know, and that sort of thing. The book itself is so, so, I, I think it's interesting. I think it's very interesting. And there were so many things that didn't translate well to the movie or that they changed for no apparent reason uh, on the movie that, that were just puzzling to me. 
we'll, we'll get to that in a second. Um, but first off, just going back to something that you said uh, earlier, uh, talking about um, Matheson possibly trying to work out some sexual issues. I, I was thinking the same thing. And um, it's not just because of this book, but because of looking at all of his books on the whole. There seem to be some things, and there's there's some things which are in there which are like themes, and there are some things which are just in there as like throwaway moments that are, you know, like some things which are treated as like these perfectly normal things where when you're reading it, you're like, what? Why, why does he think that's normal? That's very strange. I think that he does have something weird going on, and I think that he does have some sort of issues with women, not necessarily that... He's uh, anti-woman or anything like that, but I think there's something going on in his past, which uh, I'd be very curious to find out what it is. Well, there's an interesting aspect of, of like like supernatural stories in the haunted house story in particular, because it does seem to sort of inexplicably always manifest some sort of really hard to hide psychological issues. Mm-hmm. Like the haunted house story, it's kind of always about like like an emotional scar. In the real world, it's like the it's like a manifestation of a particular problem, and like you know, in The Shining, it's the exact same thing. It's like, in a way, you could say that like it's a metaphor for a different thing that the writer has. It always has a weird way of telling you more than it seems to be saying, and I think that this book largely is about how sexual indulgences can get lumped in together with a lot of other forms of 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 transgression moral and ethical and personal emotional psychological and how that's sort of a weird road and the further you go down that road the more removed you are from anything we understand right it's it's a fair thing to say that matheson at least in this book seems to come across believing in the slippery slope that yeah. if you start on one path, you're going to just inevitably go down into that that horrible thing. And, but on top of that, it, it was interesting. Some of the the mores that he ex, that he goes into in in this book, like I remember reading it and saying, "Wow, I guess in '71 this was sort of shocking mm-hmm. or disturbing." But now it's sort of like, yeah. I, I found it interesting as well, um, and arguably unnecessary to, to have Barrett be um, uh, afflicted with uh, polio, because mm-hmm. I, I mean maybe it served the plot to speak to the sexual frustrations of uh, Lionel and Edith, hmm. as, aside from their age difference. But I felt that the age I felt it was tacked on because the age difference could have spoke spoken to that. Because he was an older man, like a Reed and Sue Richards sort of thing, where it's like he's, you know, he's slightly older and he's more focused on his science than he is on her. And that leads to frustration on her part. But then he added, it's almost like he added the polio to make him completely unable, even if he wanted to, to tend to her needs. But then they had another thing where both of them were like, oh, sex i can't deal with that you know just one last thing before we move on to the movie is uh you know i do think it's interesting how um his you know matheson's style has changed from 1960 to 1971 you know they're they're like i'm wondering if whether it's just more experience or whether it's working in uh different media or i'm wondering if that uh impacted the way that he you know 
wrote novels going forward. I'm sure it did. You know, I'm sure that, I mean, one of the things is like, uh, the, I guess you could say to some extent, Barrett is the, the main protagonist here and he's an older character, whereas most of the characters in his, uh, other books are closer to the age that he was when he wrote those books. But, well, I mean, I think that, I think he, like a lot of authors, he, he, he wrote the story the length it was supposed to be. Mm. And that's why he's got a million short stories and he's got yeah. a million longer novels. I mean, I mean, like, I, I just finished the, 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 the exegesis of Philip K. Dick where he, like, expounds on a million different plot novels, plots for novels. Mm-hmm. And, like, you can hear his thought process of going, like, nope, that's not enough for a novel. Yeah. And then he's like, you might make a good short story. Oh, but if I edit this other element, Oh no, that's too much for a novel. Got to cut that out. Yeah. It's the it's thought process that gets you to the the end. I mean, it's whatever length it's going to be. I, I guess that's what it is. All right. So moving on to the movie. Uh, two years after this thing came out, nineteen seventy three, Richard Matheson adapted Hell House himself into the movie The Legend of Hell House. It was directed by John Huff, I believe you pronounce his name who uh, has directed a lot of uh, horror movies during that time period. Although uh, prob- one of the, the more notable things that he directed was the Witch Mountain movies. Oh, yeah. Love so, the Witch Mountain movies. <laughs> it's star- All both of them. It stars uh, Roddy McDowell of Planet of the Apes fame and Clive Revel, formerly of Empire Strikes Back fame. Woohoo! <laughs> but not anymore. And um, Oh, yeah. I forgot <laughs> yeah, about that. Thanks! Sorry, he, jerk. He, he doesn't exist anymore. And actually, there's another Star Wars person that's involved with the movie, Alan Hume. That's correct. The cinematographer of Return of the Jedi. Yeah. Woohoo. Yep. And it was. Uh, it also features uncredited Michael Gow. Goff. Goff. Yeah. I'm pretty sure it's just a does G mean, sound, and then you clear your throat. So Michael Goff. <laughs> <laughs> Alfred from the from the nineteen eighty nine Batman. There you go, Alfred from the nineteen eighty nine Batman in a non speaking role. Well, no, he does speak, just not when you see him. He speaks off camera, and then you see him on camera, not speaking. That's right. So, John, what what did you think of Legend of Hell House? Uh, it is uh, a very cheesy movie. Rewatching it was an experience, but uh, it has one of my favorite lines of any uh, bad horror movie in history. Um, not, uh, I'm sorry, not bad horror movie, but cheesy horror movie in history, uh, at, at the big climactic moment when, um, Roddy McDowell is, uh, or uh, Fisher is trying to, uh, provoke Belasco into a sort of, I guess, mental fight or whatever, oh, uh, yes. he's screaming at him and he goes, <laughs> your mother was a bitch <laughs> is one of my favorite lines of all time. And I remember when my buddy, uh, showed me the movie for the first time. <laughs> We had to pause it because we're both just cackling because we're like that. That's the worst insult in history. What? Are you, what? It was just it was so much fun to watch. And uh, like that whole thing just didn't. Uh, I mean, the climax of the movie is just bizarre. There were so many weird things about the movie, too. Like I I kind of dig it in spite of itself, if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, like the transition scenes of the uh, the exterior of the house seem all to be uh, during daylight hours, even when the title card reads 10 p.m. Yeah, that's like, true. Which was this in Alaska? And, you know, it was like the, this is the opposite of the 30 days of night town. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, 
of course, they had to insert shots of a black cat outside. They go, ooh, black cat. This is terrible. <laughs> um, it was a really cute black cat. It was. It looked like my first cat, Boo. So I actually, it completely destroyed the moment for me because I saw the cat and I was like, oh, I miss Boo. There, there were so many things about the movie that could have been better. Like, I, I don't know what was a, a studio concession. I mean, there were certain things I know were a studio concession. You know, it would have been rated X. I know that that rating doesn't exist anymore, but it would have been rated X if they had included everything from the book. Um, Even just but, the words included in the book. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, yeah, I mean, they should have just shot it without dialogue to play it safe. But <laughs> it's an interesting, cheesy movie. I think it's worth seeing. I think that it's fun. But at the same time, there are so many scenes where you start getting into it. And you're like, yeah, OK, this is picking up. Oh, it's a different scene now. And it's like it just suddenly shifts. It doesn't seem to find its groove at any point. And the the biggest thing that, that sort of rankled was just this sort of shift in times and tones and changing like they did so many minor thing minor changes too like you can always sit there and say oh Florence Tanner wasn't how I imagined her in the book okay fair enough it's a movie you know what they make changes like that all the time but why change Edith's name to, to you know to Anne? I think they changed it to Anne or something like that um in in the in the movie and um they the age difference wasn't there between the two characters and they dropped Lionel's um polio. So there was no when I'm just gonna go ahead and call her Edith. When Edith had her um her sort of sexual temptations with Fisher, like uh, there was no there was no impetus for it. Like they in the book he he sets up the fact that she's sexually frustrated regardless of what's going on in this house. Mm-hmm. And when it happens in the movie, there's no context for it. There's no context for her to be sexually frustrated. She's just suddenly trying to seduce Fisher. And it's like, well, oh, okay, I'll go with it. The one thing I'll say is that uh, I forget the actress's name right now, but the one that played Florence Tanner, you could tell she was committed to it. She was trying as hard as she could yeah. to sell that and just really work for the audience. So, you know, that for me is, is the one real hook that the movie has is that you you dig her character. I mean, if anything, she becomes sort of the main reason to watch the movie. I mean, Roddy McDowell through the whole thing is very, very muted, very subdued. And Fisher is a much more complex character than that. And, you know, it's always harder to convey that in a film, but. You know, it's just there's so many things that were almost there. And I don't know whether it was Matheson just wanted the paycheck because, yes, he did write the script. Did he just want the paycheck? Did he just go with what the studio wanted? Did they bring somebody else on set to sort of like doctor it up after he delivered it? And he was like, whatever, I got my check and I'm gone. So it's sort of it has such a different feel from the book that they're almost like two completely different entities. Yeah, I mean, that's interesting. I'm, I'm not sure I 100% agree with that. I thought, you know, this is the third uh, movie that we've looked at, which was written uh, by Matheson himself, you know, from his own book. And um, I, th- I thought that, you know, all three of them were pretty true to the the books, even though I think that they had to strip them down so much that they lost kind of what the essence of, of the book was. This one, not as much as the others. You know, I think a lot of the the changes that they made were 
reasonable given the running time. You know, I'd like to see kind of like an expanded version. Running time? See, I would say that running time was yeah. a significant factor, but also like the book is just way darker than you could possibly well, get. I mean, there was, there was that too. And I, and I was kind of surprised that they went for, you know, a, a PG at, at the time with this one instead yeah. of, you know, because this is right around the same time as The Exorcist and stuff like that, The yeah. Godfather. It was, so there's no reason why they couldn't go for a hard R and, you know, people were a lot more accepting of those back then. I think the idea was it was a haunted house movie that kids could see. But was that the idea? Well, I mean, they it, still do it. They still do it today. But was that the idea for this movie? Because I didn't get that impression. I don't. I don't know what the impression. I don't. I don't know what the deal was. Why they were trying to do it. But I mean, there was a lot cut out of it. Yeah. That was could only have been cut out for the purposes of making it a lower rating. Yeah. There's no other logic behind it. Which yeah. is in and of itself uh, stunning, considering they they kept a uh, very disturbing scene with. Uh, yeah. What they thought was Daniel Belasco, uh, the way he possessed Lawrence yeah. Tanner was that was kind of like, whoa, okay, that was a really disturbing like that. That was like, oh, okay, hey, you guys found your 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 way to disturb the audience now. Good, good for you. We got, but that wow, you know, like everything yeah. else is so cut back, and you really didn't hold back on that one. Yeah, at this point, I think that probably would have gotten an R. I, yeah, I mean, I don't know. On the whole, I I was not very impressed with the the movie. I I though I I think you know as far as movies go, given given the constraints placed upon it, it, it was pretty much the best adaptation they could have made. Wow! Because my my whole thing, I I definitely think a a, a different director could have done something more special with it. I really yeah, I, the thing is, like I can see it being adapted more faithfully, but I can't really see it being. I mean, like, better is a really weird term here, because, like, if somebody were to adapt this, like, you know, straight up 100% every detail adapted faithfully and everything, you know, like, brought out as much as possible onto the screen, that would be, um, an, like, possibly, like, you know, unrated would be the only way it would possibly be released. You, and it would it would never air on television. Like, I could see, I could see, like, these days, if it were made today, I could see someone you know doing like a, a six-part miniseries on hbo really yeah because I, totally I, I can't see a movie like this that wasn't in that genre of like hostile and 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 you know, just generally that sort of like weird genre of film where people are like how many different ways can we tort for a person until they die i, I could see i could see this being a miniseries on hbo i really could I, I could agree with either one of those interpretations unless they were truly faithful, especially in terms of the way uh, uh, one of the characters gets off at the end uh, in the yeah. chap. Yeah. And even 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 the way another character gets off in the pool is kind of like, whoa, hey, like that was a really in the book that like the book really starts firing on all cylinders around the last 50 or 60 pages mm -hmm. when things start happening. And uh, that would be the part that I would think would be difficult even for HBO. To yeah. Air. So, so Max, did you like the movie or, or not? I, I enjoyed the movie well enough. I mean, I, I, I thought it was weird that how many things were carryover. I, you know, the, you know, the, the, the machinery I thought was rather interesting to see. Uh, <laughs> yeah. The evolution yeah, yeah. of <laughs> ghost busting is, is fascinating. Yes. Maybe he was Egon Spengler's like long lost uncle or something like that. John, any final thoughts on Hell House or the legend of Hell House? 
Uh, you know, I, I think that Legend of Hell House is if you're gearing up for a Halloween Halloween movie marathon, but you want to start light, you want to ramp it up, you want to start on the low level and then get to the really scary movies. You know, put Legend of Hell House early in the queue, like first day viewing for your Halloween festival, and mm-hmm. then push the gas pedal a little bit more and head down toward The Exorcist and Halloween and the 1978 version, you know, and that sort of thing. Because Legend of Hell House, I don't think is going to scare anybody. The book Hell House isn't really disturbing until the tail end. I, I would, you know, I would actually recommend it to somebody. I would say, you know what? It's a pretty good book. It's worth reading. And the ending really is, in a large way, a payoff. Um, because once things start going, you know, it, it's worth reading. Yeah, the, the the problem that most horror movies run into, where you don't really believe that the people are real, the book does not have that. Like, I believe those characters. Yeah. Despite them, you know, at least two of them being mediums, which is not a thing I really believe in. Uh, like the, I, I accept those characters. I accept that they have those life experiences. They seem very real. They have like a full inner life. Yeah. I buy them. The movie, I think almost got most of them. I mean, I mean, Roddy McDowell's character is sort of the, the tricky one because he's, it, it's really hard to pin down what he is. Um, I, I, I can't think of many people who could possibly pull off that character. So, so you, what, what about the book, Max? Did you like that or not? I thought it was a very well-written book. And I'm kind of over Haunted House stories to a great extent. And reading the platonic ideal of the Haunted House story is very interesting on a, like a sort of a literal history level. Sort of uh, as an educational experience, it was very interesting. As a, as a reader, I flopped into like writer mode on many many occasions while reading it and thinking that was a really good description of the scene i should remember how he spun those adjectives in that way that's clever like i went into that mode many many times because the the situation just felt like this is exactly like that scene in that one movie or this is exactly like that scene in that one book uh it's interesting how stephen king has used this scene 112 times Mm-hmm. Uh, that kind of thing. Like I bumped into that mode constantly, yeah. and it's probably entirely to do with the haunted house genre being kind of overexposed. And it's really weird the idea of like a like a movie marathon starting with this because I would say put the house on haunted hill at the end of that, and then watch that, and then be completely weirded out by how exactly similar it is. Yeah, after you you said that, John, and now I want to have a a scary movie marathon and. Halloween weekend, so yeah, maybe I'll do that. <laughs> yeah, hey, 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 come on out to the uh, DC metro area. One of the theaters here is uh, shortly before Halloween going to be showing Scream, Blackula Scream. So maybe we watch Legend of Hell House the night before, then we watch Scream, Blackula Scream. Sounds good to me. Well, I I was not very fond of either the the movie or the book. I, I thought that both were okay. I, they were by no means the the worst uh, things that we've covered, but. They also didn't uh, excite me in the way that uh, most of, of Matheson's work has. So on the whole, I would say, you know, read this if you got nothing better to do, although it is like really freaking long compared to his other stuff. Really? This is the only time I thought they were, that it felt short. Really? Because I did not think this felt short. No. And uh, yeah, I mean... Everybody has commented that all these, all these books seem really short, and this is the only time I thought it felt short. Really? No. Like stir of echoes, I just like burned through like that, and this one, just I was just like, oh my god, 
when will it end? But, uh, you know, that, that's not necessarily a reflection on, on the book itself, but maybe, but maybe. Anyway, well, John, uh, where can uh, people find you on the internet? Where's your, your podcast at? Thank you. Uh, our podcast is at uh, nerdswords.podbean.com. Uh, it is, uh, we, we just, uh, had a show that, um, it, it got, got some pretty big thumbs up. So we're, we're pretty happy with how that's going. And, um, you can also, uh, find me, uh, on Twitter at Kessel Junkie and on my blog at kesseljunkie.com. So any one of those ways you can reach out or listen. Sweet. All right. Well, yeah, as always, you can find us, uh, at, our website, CommentaryTrackStars.com, where we have our other show, Commentary Track Stars, uh, or some other incarnation of it. And uh, you can also find us on Twitter at ComTrackStars or email us at ComTrackStars at gmail.com. Or go to Trek.fm and uh, leave us some feedback, because everyone loves feedback. That's it for Hell House. Thanks for, for joining us again, John. And we will be back next week to talk about bid time return and mm. the uh movie that is much more famous based on it called somewhere in time oh it's gonna be fun guess what's gonna be talked about that's right watches <laughs>